Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by Men's Tea Clinic. Men's Tea Clinic is the team I trust with my total wellness optimization, and so should you. Five DFW locations with North Frisco, El Dorado Parkway at Dallas North Tollway now open. Call 972-GO-MEN'S-TEA or visit mensteaclinic.com. KNC Masterpiece here on 105.3 The Fan. Reginald Atatula in for Kevin and or Corey. That's your decision to make. Uh, not your decision. Mike Bassick here, as always. Excited to be here. That's true. He is excited to be here. I don't know if There's it's because. There's a lot of good things going on. Even though our Cowboys are losing and our Rangers haven't signed a lot of people. Uh, and the Mavericks, you know. They're in the middle of the pack. I'm still excited <laughs> about DFW True sports. Mike Bassick fashion, man. It's it's all great. We're having a lot of fun, even though all these other things. Uh, no, but I, you know, you just came off of a week off, man. That's That'll, that'll get you I going. I actually just, uh, Gavin Spittle, I haven't seen in a while because of vacation time, and he's back, and I'm back, and I was saying, man, uh, I love doing this job. I really do, but there are times, as fun as this job is, as blessed as we are to have a job where you talk about sports. Yeah. There are times where you do get burnt out. I mean, look, it's it's one of the things that I say, because look, again, we do. It's a fun job and it's no digging ditches. But when people ask me like, hey, man, how fun is this? I'm like, it's work every everywhere, you know, everywhere that you do a job. There's the great parts of it. And there are the not so great parts of it. And I think that that's one of it is you just get tired and you need your break. You know, it's interesting. And this is a little bit on topic, off topic. Okay, Uh, I heard Micah Parsons last week talking a little bit about people like us criticizing the player yes and it doesn't have to be him i i don't know if he was specifically talking about him i think he was kind of more probably talking about people like dak because the quarterback in the nfl does take a lot of heat uh but they also get a lot of praise when they're great they get a lot of praise is in a way i would tell micah i don't know if we get criticized as much i've been a player i have not been an important player in major league baseball but i've been a player in major league baseball we get criticized a lot, Micah Parsons. Sure. Micah, I, I understand in like Stephen A. Smith, maybe Skip Bayless. There's other people that are like the real high profile people in media that are criticizing the player or praising the player is, boy, we take a lot of criticism. Like I don't even want to do Twitter anymore. And I thought the other day I put out a tweet after Christmas going to bed. I was like, going to bed is thinking is Lucas taking the step of best player in the NBA. And I was like, I'm going to tweet it, but I'll still get people who give me heat for being positive. Give me heat for being negative. Like we take heat too. So Micah, I know you're probably at practice or something right now, but I would say to the athletes listening, man, we take a lot of heat for having opinions on sports and it's part of the job. Absolutely. You have to, you have to deal with the criticism of whatever you say. Whether you say something's good, you're going to take criticism on it. You say something's bad, you're going to take criticism on it. Yeah, I mean, in this instance, again, having opinions, if they do not line up with certain forces, yep. there's going to be opportunity but, for people to have that, uh, that discussion. But I guess even for us, we can get burnt out on the criticism too. That's fair. And so that's kind of where I was going is there can be a burnout in this job at times, not complete burnout. I love it, but 
because of the criticism that you get. Whatever you say, even if you're goofing off, people can take that as you were being dead serious. And you're like, dude, I was just goofing off. Right. But, you know, that that's always the tough part. And I think that this Christmas time or holiday season time and, and the off time that you get can almost give you like new life. It's uh, There's not an off season in sports talk radio. Although some people would say, you know, middle of that uh, dog days of summer. That's, when you get in the middle that's of baseball. Actually, that's actually not the – that's the <laughs> toughest part. That's the grind part, yeah. right? Because you're grinding for topics that will keep people interested in sports. Now, obviously, you talk about all the, the criticism. I think if you're doing it right, it allows you to be as more, as responsible as you can be when you're criticizing others because you understand what right. it is. You understand the critic – like, I mean, let's be honest. Who do I criticize the most? I think this is a very easy answer. Well, there's there's a lot of answers that you could throw up here. Um, is it Dwight Powell? It's Dwight Powell. <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't think he's an NBA basketball player. That's not fair. What I'm saying right now, even saying it, because he is. He's he's he yeah. actually he's going to pension out. He's a 10 year full pension, never have to work a day in his life because you play basketball. You don't work basketball. You play basketball. So he's never going to have to work a day in his life. Now, he's, I get it. He's hes working his butt off to 100%. be an NBA basketball Absolutely. player. But, like, literally for his lifetime, hes he can say, I played for a lifetime. My, my earnings, I only had to play. You know, and I get it. Like, I had to work, too, to try to be in the major leagues. But, like, you, I got to play baseball. I didn't get to work baseball. Right. So, I mean, I, I get it, man. I can be very critical. <laughs> of of specific players and the guy i'm most critical of is dwight powell you know so i get it man and and i take heat for that too now with that we're going to then pivot to i guess in some ways maybe criticism of the dallas cowboys uh, again can't see masterpiece you can always get involved by texting into the truckwreck.com text line 877-881-1053 we're on twitch we're on youtube um but the question is are you worried about depending on this cowboys defense and again like i said this is going to be an instance where we have some criticisms that we are levying here but i think that it comes with some you know with reason here uh the cowboys have had a couple of weeks where the defense has not been the best obviously the the bills game was very trying this game with the miami dolphins you saw a a better performance in the week prior. However, the thing for me, as I went back and watched all 22 film yesterday, is that you can look at, and I guess we can even talk specifically about the run run defense. You can look at the ways in which they the the Dolphins did not run 400 yards, which is usually that's good. But if you look at things like success rate, uh, which for you know success rate tells you um, the percentage of times that a, a team had a successful play, it was incredibly high for the Miami Dolphins, meaning you did not stop them a given play to play. And that's fair. You saw the way that it worked, right? They they worked their way down the field consistently. And the Cowboys did a good job of stopping them in the red zone. However, they worked their way down the field and then kicked field goals and things of that nature. And that's a little concerning to me personally because we there was points in the season where we looked at the defense as possibly historic, yeah. as possibly one that you would lean on um, as the tip of the spear for this team. Right. And now, especially when you look at some of the better teams that they played of late and as the team has you know, become structured as it is with injuries and so forth, that that isn't where this defense is. So yeah. is there any concern for you um, when it comes to depending on this defense? 100%. This is not a bad defense. But this last game, the Cowboys offensively weren't good. But they got the lead with 
less than four minutes to go, three minutes and change to go. And they said, all right, we did it. We had the drive. We got the touchdown. Brandon Cooks made a great play. Dak made an unbelievably great pass. Win the game. Win it. We need this win. Win it. And they they faltered. They couldn't do it. They couldn't stop them. Uh, they even had a chance to just hold them to a field goal with a little bit under two minutes to go, right? You could have got the ball back with a minute and 30 seconds, minute 40 seconds with a timeout on the board, which wouldn't have been perfect, but it would have been, hey, we didn't stop them, stop them, but we stopped them with enough time for the offense to come back and get a field goal and win the game. They couldn't do it. They, they, With three minutes and change to go, they were able to run the whole clock off and get into a chip shot field goal. They probably would have scored a touchdown. If they needed a touchdown, it felt like with about a minute to go, it felt like crap. They could score a touchdown if they wanted to score a touchdown, but obviously the goal was win the game. Don't give Dak any time. Don't give the Cowboys any time to come back. So at this point, you give up a whole bunch of points to Seattle. You did get key stops at the end of the game against Seattle, but at home you gave up 35 points, I believe, to Seattle. Then Buffalo blows you out of the water, and then in a very close game where you don't play close games, let's face it, the Cow- in a we- this is a weird NFL season for the Dallas Cowboys very much with so, yeah. so many blowouts. on. on and, and luckily you've had more blowouts where you've won the blowout than lost the blowout. But I look at it and go, at this point, I always ask this question. I'll ask it back to you since I don't have confidence in the defense. If there was two minutes to go and you needed to drive 60 yards or hold a team to less than 60 yards, and let's just say they have a timeout or two left to to make sure that there's plenty of time, but two minutes to go, I would rather be losing Reggie and and have the ball with Dak Prescott in his Mm. hands to win the game than be winning and have our defense have to stop a playoff team? I asked that question to you. What would you rather have? That's interesting because we've seen the Cowboys have to be in that situation a few times, and it hasn't really turned up all that well, at least when we talk about postseason, Losing those types then, of things, right? And then and then driving. But we've also seen this defense stand up, right, in pass rushing situations, right, situations where teams have to drop back and throw the football. So, actually, I feel like I, I still have some confidence in that situation of having to drop back or, or having to go after the quarterback, right? Because Tua Tungo Bailoa and this Miami Dolphins defense, when they're passing the football, they present a unique challenge because of the speed that they have uh, uh, on the edges and the ways in which the quickness that Tua Tungo Bailoa gets the ball out that neutralizes the pass rush. Even when there were instances in, in this game where Tua is throwing the ball away and there's no one nearby and it's just like, oh, that was he's getting rid of the ball – that the pass rush wasn't particularly close. He was just getting the ball away quickly, and in other against other teams, they'll get there. The thing that concerned me, and that I guess the that's the yeah. reason I always ask the question with two minutes to go, yeah, and like sixty yards or so to right. go, and you have a timeout, so it plays into the team can do whatever they want. Yeah. They don't have to just throw to the sideline and hurry up and get out right. of bounds, or they're done running the ball because there's not enough time to run the ball. Is like no, there's there's enough time for a team to do whatever they need to do to get that sixty yards to get in field goal range or to get that sixty plus yards to score a touchdown. So that's why I try to ask the question sure. on like, no, you have to play a complete defensive game, or you do on offense have time to hand the ball off to Pollard or right. throw the ball over the middle without it killing the drive. I think I still feel a level of confidence in the defense in that particular situation. So you would rather have the lead whether it's by two or four points, yeah. and say, defense, like this Miami game, it's up to you. Stop them and we win. 
Right. Yeah. I, I, I think I think I would. But the, the thing that brings up the question for me is as I'm watching the film on this one um, and is this run run stopping wise. This is the team that you wanted to play against when it comes to matching yours, the def- strength of your defense. This is a team that wants to run laterally and it wants to run with speed. And your defense has that speed and lateral movement that can match that. And you saw, again, them you, you held the Dolphins to under 100 yards rushing. However, they were able to be successful running the football. They were able to um, run to the outside, even though you know you had pretty good, um, pretty good tackling by your secondary. But then also, you were asking yesterday about why aren't they running up the middle? They did a decent, decent amount of that. They just used your you, you used your flow of your linebackers against them. They did these motions and then ran the other way. They did these situations where they started the running back outside, had the linebackers flow, and then cut back up. And I was like, if if you're having trouble, you know, stopping successful plays, you know, stemming the bleeding in those ways, what happens when you play a team that is built in a different way, that is not built just to use speed, but to use the power that is there, especially without Hankins, and then they can attack you down the field. That That's the thing that starts to concern me. When you watch the All-22, I know you didn't, like, write down every time. But no, and you, I'm, I'm no Brian Broaddus. I want right. to make that clear. When you watch the All-22, how many times was it just a few? How many times did Micah Parsons line up as kind of a middle linebacker? I know you didn't play middle yeah. linebacker, but how many times did he kind of get into the middle of the field in a linebacker type of position? Yeah, in that, like, kind of hybrid. I can remember off the top of my head maybe, like, four or five times. Okay, so not a lot. Just, it, it didn't feel like a ton, a but few. I mean, it was a lot when you consider the ways in which you're used to him being on the edge. And even if he's in the middle, it's very evident that he's going where he was a little bit off the line in this game. And it felt like maybe like four or five times okay. um, off the top of my head. That's not did, an exact science. by any And means. I do remember one time he did it and they ran the ball and he was able to get somewhat to the ball carrier yes. running to Micah's right. They were running to the left, but running to Micah's right. And he was able to, as they uh, had a, a guard. Uh, pop off of the ball and go immediately and try to block, block Micah, and he didn't. And Micah got around him and flowed with the play and was able to be part of a tackle. I'm not sure if he got credit for the tackle or not, but I remember that going, man, that's a good way to stop the run because when you give Micah space, these offensive linemen, they can't touch him. Like, he just he just is so quick, he runs yes. right around him and gets to the ball. Now, look, there's, there's people that are coming for the other side of this because, again, yeah. expressing concern – is one thing, but there's folks that are talking about the fact that this this team forced five field goals, right? And uh, they did a good job. They did, like I yeah, mentioned, they yeah. did stop this defense or this offense rather from rushing 400 yards. Um, and again, like the success rate, I think the the red zone rate was like 25 percent on yeah. getting a touchdown. Um, and so I th- guess this feels like to me this Miami game feels like playoff football. Yes, hey, it's gonna be back and forth. It's gonna be close. And there's going to be a moment where there's only this much time left where it says you have to win the game. And some of this, as we begin, we had the conversation about spinning it forward. As we begin to spin it forward, some of this is also now you're coming up against a team in the Detroit Lions that has the ability to run the football They're very more well. Of a physical team than Miami. That offense, that offensive line is well worked, even when they're you know having to depend on the next. Uh, the next of their offensive line, right? The uh, next man up situations. They are very well put together in that way. And so it, it begins to, we're in the part of the season for the Cowboys where we're no longer going, okay, but that's a bad team. 
And I think that's when we have to start evaluating this defense. And so, look, they've done a fairly good job, but it's not to the level that we had started the season. And maybe the expectations early were, were too lofty, right? Maybe the expectations that they would have all these consul- all these uh, turnovers was too lofty as well because that's that's another thing that we haven't seen as much of. And Tua Tungvaloa is going to protect the football and he's going to get the ball out quick. And we'll see if those, those uh, turnovers return. But without the turnovers... Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's a good defense, but it's not a great defense, and I, I wonder how much you, need, you can lean on them consistently before they break. Yeah. It's the KNC Masterpiece here on 105.3 The Fan. Reggie in for Kevin and Corey. Mike, of course, with you as always. Coming up next, we are joined by our Dallas Cowboys insider, Mickey Spagnola. We'll do it next on The Fan. It's the KNC Masterpiece here on 105.3 The Fan. I'm Reginald Latatula filling in for Kevin and Corey. Mike Bassick, obviously always here in the KNC Masterpiece. Chris Strong on the board for us today. Thank you for hanging out with us uh, on your home of the Cowboys and World Series champion Texas Rangers 105.3 The Fan. Um, right now, it's time to visit with our Dallas Cowboys insider, brought to you by Ford. Ford built for Texas, built for you. It's Mickey Spagnola. Mickey, how are you doing today? I'm just fine. How are you guys? We're doing all right. We're doing pretty well. Um, it, I feel like this is going to be a common refrain throughout the week, so I figure we'll get it out now. I know that Mike McCarthy has yet to talk today. However, I know that you're also an intrepid reporter. Do we have any news when it comes to Jonathan Hankins, Tyron Smith uh, injuries? You know, I thought Jerry uh, gave a pretty good uh, assessment of Tyron yesterday. If you go back and look, he didn't make a big deal of it, uh, but he said he thought Tyron would be better this week after the injection. And I think that slipped by everybody. Uh, so, you know, it's a back issue. Uh, and he followed that up, and he said usually that uh, gives him some relief. So, uh, obviously, they're hoping that, uh, you know, keeping him out and treating whatever he's got going uh, will allow him uh, to potentially play. Now, saw him walking through the locker room for whatever it's worth, and he was walking really well. So that's not means he's – He's actually trying to take on a 290-pound defensive end or anything, but <laughs> I think they're somewhat encouraged by that. And, you know, after going back and uh, kind of watching them perform without him, you know, there was a lot of times, uh, and, and there's a reason Chuma's the backup, right? He's not good enough to be a starter in this league. Uh, you know, there was a few times he got beat physically, but there was a couple that he just made mental mistakes. Like he chose to block inside and end up double teaming uh, with the guard, Tyler Smith, and leaving the guy on the outside come free. And and that was causing problems. So um, a lot of it is, you know, you, you got to be able to do what you want to do, but you got to know also. And, and so I saw several mistakes like that, putting pressure on Dak. Uh, so yeah, they, they badly need him back on the field if that's how they're going to play it without him. 
I'll make a comment here, then ask a question. I think it's amazing how quick the game can move when you're in live action. Mm -hmm. I can Mm -hmm. only speak about, you know, being a pitcher in a bullpen. You have no hitter in there. You have no fans doing anything and you're just making pitches. You're just working on your game. And for the backup tackle here, he gets to practice every rep during practice. Like, he gets to do all the practice stuff, but it's amazing, Mick, when the live action happens, when there's 50-plus thousand people in the building, when there is another guy lined up against you, how your brain is going, gosh, I know there's 30 seconds in between plays, but it feels like when you get put in the live action for kind of the first time, and I know he's had other games where he's played, but yeah. all of a sudden the game starts moving at 1,000 miles an hour. Yeah, and, you know, that's kind of the life of a backup, like the same life as a backup quarterback. Yeah. And and, and you just hope you trust what, um, you know, what you've learned over the years and, you know, and, you know, they throw something at you that you don't expect, but I just think at times you got to be aware uh, of, you know, of what's about to happen. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why Miami was able uh, to hold this team to 20 points. And it wasn't just that. It was the fact that uh, I think at times they, they fooled the Cowboys with some blitzes uh, that they didn't react to well. Like there was one. Oh, it, w- it was on the final drive when they were starting to get in scoring position and then Dak got sacked for like minus 10 yards. Guy came right up the middle and no one touched him. And it's like, you know, you can say, well, that's on the quarterback. He's got to recognize that. But, you know, again, as you just said, when things are happening that fast, you can't even hit your back foot uh, to, to kind of understand where you want to go with the ball. Uh, so I, I'll guarantee you Detroit's watching what the blitzes did to them uh, from Miami. And, and, you know, it's a copycat league, so they better be ready because I would imagine uh, Detroit's going to be fairly aggressive uh, coming after them. And, you know, they've already clinched their division title. Now I'm sure they've got, well, there's a possibility if someone gets beat, you know, I might get the number one seed. So, I mean, they're going to play, but they may throw caution to the wind being on the road. I I haven't st- have you studied Detroit film a lot yet? Mitt? I haven't studied the film, but I've watched them play uh, these last couple of weeks. How much do they move around Aiden Hutchinson? Like, will they try to get a favorable matchup for him? The way that at times you can see Micah move around, or do they just say you're lined up here, go get him? That's what I've seen. Okay. Yeah, I I'm here and 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 I'm coming after you. And and so will yeah. it be on Terrence Steele a lot? Will Aiden Hutchinson be lined up on Terrence Steele? Uh, I think a lot? that was the side I saw yeah. him on because yes. I, I was listening to Marcus Spears and he said he's worried about Terrence Steele versus Aiden Hutchinson in the game coming up, which made it sound like he lines up on that side almost right. every play. He's not like let's just say Tyron Smith doesn't play; they wouldn't then possibly move him to the other side a lot. Yeah, and 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 you know you, you never know how they're going to react to that, but. If I was them, I would. If if that was uh, the case, then try to take advantage. I mean, that's what the Cowboys do with Parsons a lot. Right? How many times do you talk to even really great defensive ends? Let's say Demarcus Ware, Charles Haley, right. uh, Greg Ellis, a really good player. Right, he's going to be on tonight, I believe, uh, on the Cowboys Hour. Is how much do they go? I just don't like lining up on the other side i'm so used to my moves working on this side of the field i don't like going to the other side yeah i haven't heard guys complain about that 
Now, now they did they moved DeMarcus Ware some, but not a lot. Uh, and 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 normally, you know, you're thinking, well, the guy on the the right tackle is probably not the top tackle. I can t- use my best pass rusher and and put him on that side, right? Uh, but I haven't heard guys complain about uh, the pass rush. Now, opposite of that, Mike, from a tackle standpoint, yeah, guys get used to one side, and it's a little different trying to be right-handed or left-handed with your punch and, and your, you know, how you're going to back up. Yeah. I think that matters more than where you're rushing from. Because okay. a lot of times when you're rushing, you know, I mean, look at some of the stuff that Parsons does. He's standing up. He's not even got his hand on the ground. Now, Mickey, I know we talked a little bit about the Hunter Lipke uh, red zone fumble, um, but the red zone woes for this Cowboys team, maybe woes is a little too strong, but this this team has not been as strong as they could be in the red zone. What, what have you noticed? What are the th- places where they could maybe uh, improve for you? Because obviously against this Lions team, they are actually very good in the red zone when they get there. Yeah, and I, I don't want to be so simplistic, but run the ball in the end zone. Mm. You know what I mean? That I, and I think when when you aren't proficient at running the ball inside the ten, inside the five, five then you're going to have problems uh, because now you got a, a whole lot more things and parts are moving and you know coordination and uh, but yeah, I, I think that at times they've just had problems running between the tackles and getting into the end zone, uh, which was one of the reasons why you know. Back during training camp, my my thoughts were if no one's signing Ezekiel Elliott to a, a you know a, a a more expensive contract than they could offer, I want him back here, and and I guarantee you he would have been fine being the backup, and um, you know, and he's my guy on first and goal from the five, uh, and they just don't push the ball into the end zone well enough. Uh, and, you know, you, you mentioned the fumble, right? Mm-hmm. It was, what, first and goal at the one? They had second and one at the two, and they gained one yard. You know, you got to get that ball in the end zone. Yeah. Uh, and, and they've just had problems, but whether it's the offensive line or how they're hitting the holes there. Uh, but uh, I, I think that w- when they've been somewhat successful running it in, they've they've attacked the edges. They got the ball on the outside, and they've used their speed uh, more so than trying to use uh, some power. Uh, you know, and the weird thing on the fumble, you know, Lipke had two other carries on. I I, I don't remember if it was third and one or fourth and one, and he you know he got he got the first down. Uh, so you know, it's just a bad exchange. I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to say. Well, it was that guy's fault or that guy's fault? Uh, they just didn't connect on the handoff because he got in the end zone. By the way, if you gr- need the ball, and I know that there's two games left. Uh, if you were grading the Cowboys' run offense this year, what would you give the Cowboys' <laughs> run offense grade? Um, average. Yeah. So like a B. Yeah, B B minus. I mean, yeah. What did I'm kind of with you on I that. I was trying to see what they – I was going to look real quick what they were averaging. I, I don't think they they were at more than 4-1 four, four, a carry. It's got to be better than that. Um, and, and I don't believe it, it has been. Um, you know, and for a while there, um, till 
kind of the end of the five-game winning streak, they were just averaging three nine a carry. It's got it's got to be better, and and so yeah, uh, it it just they haven't been able to hit that big play, uh, you know, like a twenty, thirty, forty-yard run. It it just doesn't happen, and you know those were the things they got from Pollard last year, uh, but they really haven't hit any plays like that. That you know they just exploded. Uh, for a huge game, and, you know, and and uh, Mike McCarthy's big on big plays, right? You got to hit big plays, and and they just really haven't done that. Mickey, you were spot on four one, uh, four point one yards per attempt, good for sixteenth. So right in yeah, there, right average, in their average, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, with the league. So yeah, I think that uh, you know, Mike. Here, here's the deal: they haven't been good enough or explosives enough to cause team defenses to adjust to stopping the run. Yeah, I'm with you. If if you go back and look at this last game, there were snaps where Miami had both safeties 50 to 15 to 20 yards off the line of scrimmage. So basically they're saying, "Okay, you can nibble around underneath, but you're not going to go over the top and beat me." Uh and and they pretty much consistently did that. Uh, and then use the, the blitzes that I was talking about earlier uh, to uh, really put the pressure on Dak. Uh, and I think I've said this before, you know, after the Cowboys, you know, up and down the field, the two first two possessions, uh, it was like, okay, we got to do something because Dak's going to beat us if, if we let him have time in the pocket. And that's when they started the blitzing, uh, especially with uh, 43 was that Van Ginkle? Yep. Uh, and, and and they just really had troubles with him. And I know, you know, they got him listed as outside linebacker, but a lot of times when the Cowboys were in, you know, three wide, you know, he basically was the defensive end over there. And, and there was a few times they just totally whiffed on him, like didn't touch him. And it's like, oh, man, you got to be more aware. Mickey, we appreciate your time. Uh, go get some more answers from uh, Mike McCarthy. Yeah, we, let's see what we got today. Absolutely. Huh? Appreciate you, sir. Okay, see you guys. Talk to you tomorrow. That's Mickey Spagnola, Dallas Cowboys insider from uh, DallasCowboys.com. Joins us every day right here on the KNC Masterpiece on 105.3 The Fan. Coming up next, you know what time it is. It's time for Baseball Nuggets. Can this Ranger carry over his 2023 success to 24? Next. 2-1. and one. Here's the pitch. Bregman swings. It's a high drive to deep left field. Going back is Carter. He's on the track. He's at the wall. He leaps, and he makes the catch at the 366 sign. Altuve all the way down to second base, returns to first. Another tremendous play by Evan Carter in front of the garage door in left field. That's a double play. Yeah, one of one because of Because Altuve yeah. forgot to touch second base going back. That's right. I mean, one of the many plays that um, Evan Carter made – towards the end of the season and yeah. through the playoffs for your Texas Rangers. It's KNC Masterpiece here on 105 Through the Fan. I'm Reginald Atatula. That's Mike Bassick. And uh, with no further delay, it's time for Baseball Nuggets with Mike Bassick. Well, I wanted an Evan Carter highlight there. And thanks a lot, Chris, for that one. Is, hey, you remembered your name. Yeah, see? Let's I, go. I don't, I don't know his last name, though. Chris Strong. strong. It's, it's, oh, did I, is it Strong? Yeah. Oh, wow. I thought that I was making that up in my head. Yeah, his name does sound, sound kind of fake. Yeah, Chris right. Strong. <laughs> it's a good name, though. All right, so I want to talk about Evan Carter, the man 
who just turned 21 years old right before he got called up to the major leagues. The I can't man, remember his exact birthday, did, but it was, it was he was 20 most of the year. Right. Um, and then he won a World Series before his rookie year, because this is going to be his rookie season, yeah, right? Yeah, he, he will be. I haven't looked at. It'll be interesting when we go to Vegas for the Super Bowl. I'm going to when, look at when you all, guys go to Vegas. For I'm going to look at all of those like MLB like fun things to to bet on like rookie of the year yeah. odds, MVP odds, just like to have some fun. Just drop a few dollars on a various things and see yeah. if you can make out and like I'll, a bandit. Yeah, and and just to have fun with it. Um, to for stuff like that, you know. Um, but here's the article on MLB.com. Will these strong finishes carry over into 2024? Mm-hmm. And I found this interesting, really interesting, you know, interesting. So I wanted to click on it and see who was on this list. Sure. And if there are any Rangers. Number one on the list is Evan Carter. And this is what the article says on Evan Carter before I get to other players. And I don't even know if I want to get to other players. But it said, Carter didn't make his debut until September 8th, but he left a lasting imprint on the season nevertheless. The 21-year-old produced a 1.6 war in just 23 games in the regular season, slashing 306, 413, and 645. With five home runs and 12 RBIs in three steals, remember, that was in 23 games. Carter further raised his profile in the postseason, showing poise beyond his years while reaching base at a 417 clip and collecting a playoff record nine doubles <laughs> over 17 games for the World Series champs. With a well rounded skill set and an excellent grasp of the strike zone, the number eight overall prospect has a chance to be special. And so, I mean, obviously, we know all these things being here in Texas, Ranger fans, and how good he could be. I've been following him for years. I've been talking about Evan Carter for years, ever since I got tipped off going into the 2021 season that, hey, when they took this kid 50th overall and everybody said they made a big, like, risk, a big reach on this guy He's not. In fact, I got somebody at that point saying, I hate doing comparisons, but I'd compare him to Christian Yelich. And that was in going into 2021 oh. where Yelich was a perennial MVP candidate right. in the National League. Now, I don't know if what's going to happen to his career, but I do find it very interesting because if you look at what he did last year, and I kind of went through the stats, but if you look at 307 batting average in the regular season and an on-base percentage of 413, an OPS of 1.059. Just an OPS of one is 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 top five player in the game. Right. So I don't know if he's going to have an OPS of one, uh, whatever. Let's just say 1.0 for uh, his his rookie year next year, where last year he got 23 games. But I was wondering, Reggie, where do we think Evan Carter is going to be in 2024? Because what he did last year, if he were to do that, he played in 40 games total, 23 in the regular season, 17 in the postseason. He would be one of the 10 best outfielders in all of baseball. You would have him there with Mookie Betts, Aaron Judge, Juan Soto, Mike Trout, Ronald Acuna Jr. You know, just going through the top of my head, some of the best outfielders in the game. Their numbers are all different, right? Aaron Judge does it a lot through power when he's healthy. 
uh, Mookie Betts doesn't do it a lot through power. He does it a lot through a whole bunch of different ways. And Mookie Betts, I guess, can take out of the conversation because he's a second baseman yeah. now. But if you look at what Evan Carter did, if he's able to do that in 2024, if over a six-month period, there's going to be ups and downs, but over a six-month period, if he's around a 300 batting average, around a 400 on base percentage, and let's just drop it to a 900 OPS, if he's around that, he's already one of the 10 best outfielders in the game of baseball. Do you think he can do that that quickly? That feels unfair to expect him to do that that quickly. But also, it felt unfair to bring him up and expect him to be you know, a major player on a World Series-type champion, and that's exactly what he was able to do. I think you mentioned an interesting part of it because like, we'd have to extrapolate a relatively small sample still. I mean, a decent small right. sample, but a relatively small sample to 162 games plus whatever postseason you end up with. And when I don't know that you can do that, right? We hear often about how the MLB season is a marathon and not a sprint. Yeah. And obviously there's going to be ups and downs, particularly with this dude, As but with any player. But I think he could be close, right? He's shown the capability, right? The defense was at a incredible level. The speed that he d- demonstrates. And he never played left field. He's only played probably left field in, I'm going to guess, in the minor leagues. He yeah. probably played 40 games in his life until True. he got called up and then played 40 games in the major leagues. Like He probably only has 80 games in his life of playing left field because he's a center fielder that they moved to left field. So just to show, when he did have some issues, Kevin pointed out his issues at times in left field. And that he was did. the only thing Kevin There were some out. times that he struggled in left field, but it was be- not because of lack of ability. It's just when you don't play left field and you play center field your whole life, that is a big adjustment that I think that he will make. He might move back to center field. Can, but can you explain why that is? Because obviously, like center field, you're more likely to get balls that go, you know, more direct to where they're going right. as opposed to curving or what have you. There's going to be a hook or a slice a lot of times on fly balls to left and right field. Let's just take the majority of hitters are right handed. They're usually going to hook the ball a little bit uh, when they hit the ball to left field. Not all the time, but and then sometimes you get a guy that, you know, inside outs the ball. And what that means is you get kind of a slice uh, on the ball. Or if you're left-handed, you'll get kind of a slice on it. But that is also a hook for Mm -hmm. a right-hander. So you have to deal with the ball not having complete and total backspin all of the time. The other thing, too, is the fence is a little bit different. There's a fence to the right of you. There's no fence to the right or left of you in center field. So now when you're running hard, and he can fly, by the way, when he's flying into the corner – in left field he has to now wonder where's the warning track how many steps do i have where's the wall there when he's going back on a ball obviously you're playing closer to the fence in left and right field than you are in center field center field is approximately 400 feet away from home plate you're going to have a lot more room to go back on balls than you are in left field that wall is going to get closer we saw that bregman play he honestly didn't have to really jump on that he did but it was that corner, that weird corner that you have uh, there in Houston where he wasn't exactly sure how close he was to the wall in that situation. So you just have to learn the fields more. You have to be – you're closer to fences all of a sudden. And I don't know if he's going to be a 
a left fielder for his career. Uh, there's a good chance that he does transition back to center field at some point. I'm not trying to – Leody Tavares is a, was a great player, uh, an awesome player. I want him back on the Rangers. I do think Leody will be back with the Rangers. So he's probably going to have to play left field this next season uh, for the Texas Rangers. But I wanted to look real quick, Reggie, at his offensive numbers – the last two years, 2023 and 2022 in the minor leagues, because I do think that you can't you can't say he's going to replicate his minor league numbers. Sure. But we're looking at 40 games in the major leagues where he had a 400 on base, a 300 batting average, and a pretty much a thousand OPS. And I think we should also acknowledge that, like the the stakes that he's coming up to the bat with, because right. like that does change the way that these at bats go, or at least it changed the ways that you know it feels. And he delivered in those circumstances. In 108 games last year in the minor leagues, he batted two. 288 with a 413 on base percentage and an 863 OPS overall. So that's at pretty much two levels. There were three games that he had to go back and rehab and play at rookie ball. Now, I want you to remember that number, 108. In 2022, he played in 106 games, and that was in high A ball and double A. He had a 295 batting average, a 397 on base percentage, and an 885 OPS. That's pretty stable. It's pretty stable, right? So a thousand, like what he did in in having an OPS of one, that hasn't shown so far in his you know, age nineteen and twenty. Now the one thing I wanted to point out to you was one hundred six and one hundred eight in two thousand twenty one thirty two. He had back issues at mm. a very early age, obviously sure. eighteen years old. He has been. I don't want to say unhealthy. I'm trying to. He's been a guy that struggled with minor injuries in 2022 and 2023. Now, if I add the major league games to it, 23, that gives him then uh, 108 plus 23, 131 games. But if you look at it, he has had trouble staying healthy for a whole season and not going on the injured list for a little bit of time the last two years. So that's one thing that I want to point out with Evan Carter. It's not the Josh Young situation. Josh Young, in a weird way, 2019 draft pick, he was hurt every year yeah. in the minor leagues and kind of somewhat major injuries where he didn't have many games played in the minor leagues when he came up to the major leagues for the most part. It, de- uh, it, de- it, de- it delayed his debut. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just want to point out multiple things Evan Carter has proven in the minor leagues at every level he's a 300 hitter and a 400 on base percentage he's not a thousand OPS guy now maybe that changes over time look he looks like he has the ability to put on 10 to 20 pounds with no problem because he is a thinner guy but remember he should be somewhat a junior or senior at Duke right now Uh, now he graduated early from high school but I mean he's still of the age where at this point you were just drafting Jack Leiter. You hadn't even drafted Kamar Rocker yet. He's still a year away from being drafted by the Texas Rangers at the age uh, that uh, Evan Carter is. So there's time for his body to develop more, for more power to develop. If you look at home runs the last few years, uh, he had 10 in 2022, and he had 13 in 2023 in the minor leagues. Now, he played a little bit in the major leagues and had five. That five was weird. That came out of nowhere in a way. He never showed the ability to hit the ball out of the park on a consistent basis. So to have five home runs in 23 games in the regular season, that kind of came out of nowhere. I do think his power is going to keep developing. I do see him being a potential 30 to 35 home run guy, but I see that closer when he gets to the age of 25 Okay, than at 21, 22, 23. I think he's going to be more of a 15 to 20 home run guy 
early on in his major league career. But this is a guy that I'm in love with, obviously. I think he's a franchise-changing player. But can he do what he did in 40 regular season and postseason games last year? That's a lot to ask, but I don't think he's going to be far off of those numbers. Sure, and I think that that's, that's a fair expectation because he blew our minds with what he was giving us when he came up and you know obviously helped this Rangers team to a World Series championship. It's the KNC Masterpiece right here on 105 Through the Fan. Thanks for another great baseball nuggets, Mike. Uh, coming up next, are we are we basically locked in in MVP in the NFL now, finally? And is this the closest that Dak will ever get to an MVP? We discuss next on The Fan.